I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. Today, I'm really excited to share with you about the life of Amy Carmichael. She's one of my spiritual heroes, and I've quoted her a lot throughout this podcast. So if you've ever heard me speak or if you've read any of my books, you probably are familiar with her name. And I would encourage you to read her books and her biography because she truly is one of the most powerful examples of Set Apart Womanhood that I've ever seen. The theme of Amy Carmichael's life was that in all things, he might have the preeminence, which means the first place. The first time I encountered Amy Carmichael's story, I was in high school and I was reading her biography, the one that Elizabeth Elliott wrote called A Chance to Die. And I had that book with me and I was going over to babysit some friends of ours, their little girls. And I put the book on the coffee table thinking I would read it after the girls were in bed. And the book is called, of course, A Chance to Die. And one of the little girls picked up the book and said, a chance to die. What is? What did she have? <laughs> what disease did she have? She thought it was about you know this girl dying, and I started laughing and I said, No, it's it's not about that. It's about how she learned how to die to herself and live Christ's agenda instead of her own agenda. Which of course, to an eight year old girl, that was hard to explain. But really, death to self was such a primary theme for Amy Carmichael. It really started when she was a young woman living in the upper class of Belfast, Ireland, in the late 1800s. There was a day when she and her family were walking home from church one Sunday. They were surrounded by dozens of respectable, dignified neighbors who were also on their way home from church. And suddenly, out of nowhere, an old beggar woman started to struggle along with a heavy bundle on her back. And that was a very unusual sight in that part of Belfast at that time. She was a bedraggled, dirty beggar woman hobbling along these beautifully well-groomed streets with lovely homes and lovely gardens. So people didn't really know how to respond. And impulsively, Amy and her two brothers went to help the woman. They lifted her burden and they helped her cross the street. But as they noticed the looks on the faces of the other neighbors and church members that were kind of watching them in shock, they started to feel really awkward and embarrassed about doing something like that. And Amy said later that all she wanted was to get away from that old woman and all the disapproving looks of those around her. But just as they came near a fountain in the street, Amy heard a voice speak clearly. And it was based on 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And the voice was so clear that she turned to see who was speaking to her, but nobody was there. And suddenly she knew that it was God speaking to her. It really, really gripped her soul. And that afternoon, she shut herself in her room to sort out life's priorities, as she said. And when she came out of her room several hours later, she had come to a decision about her life. And it could be summed up in this sentence. Nothing would ever matter to her again except the things that were eternal. That is so powerful. And if each of us adopted that statement for our life purpose, that nothing would matter to us again except the things that are eternal, it would change all of our actions and our decisions and our relationships and what we do with our life. As I read that part of Amy's story, I could really relate to that crisis of soul because God had walked me through 
a time of complete surrender to him where I was learning not to just fit him into my life, but to build my life around him. But since making that decision to live a surrendered life, I had really longed to see examples of young women who were living out that Christ-centered life. There were really very few that I knew, even Christian young women who were living out that kind of total consecration to Christ. And when I read a statement in Amy Carmichael's biography, it immediately gripped my heart. Elizabeth Elliot wrote these words about her. The preoccupations of 17-year-old girls, their looks, their clothes, and their social life don't seem to change much from generation to generation. But in every generation, there seem to be a few who make other choices. Amy was one of the few. And when I read those words, I knew that God was calling me to be one of the few as well. I didn't want to build my life around shallow temporal things, but around things that would last for eternity. And as I began to study more about Amy Carmichael's amazing life journey, I began to see a powerful example of the Christ-centered life that God was asking me to embrace. My specific path was different from Amy's, but her example taught me some really important spiritual principles that began to really influence my convictions in my spiritual walk and have continued to do so ever since. So I'd like to share with you the three core principles from Amy Carmichael's life that have most impacted and influenced me. The first is humility. In her 20s, Amy began an amazing work for poverty-stricken young women called Shawleys in her hometown of Belfast. They had the name Shawleys because they were really too poor to buy a hat, and so they had to pull their shawls over their head as a measure of protection against the wind. Amy ministered to them in so many different ways, helping meet their practical needs and sharing the gospel with them. And even though she was just a young woman with not a lot of resources, she single-handedly raised the money to build this large facility called the Welcome Hall, where she would minister to these shawlies all throughout the week with Bible classes and practical teaching and food and shelter and so many other ways that she was meeting the needs of their heart and their physical life. On the night of the dedication of the Welcome Hall, a lot of prominent people in the community had come for the occasion, and a well-known pastor was there conducting the dedication ceremony for the building. And you would think that someone like Amy, who had poured so much of her life into this work and given so much of her time and energy to raise the money for this facility, would want to be on the stage and be recognized for what she had done. And yet she decided she wanted to sit in the crowd with the Shawleys and not be noticed or recognized at all for the fact that she had single-handedly built this entire ministry. And that's really powerful to me. Across the stage, she hung a banner that said, in all things that he, Jesus, might have the preeminence, which means first place. That is not the kind of humility you see very often today. So often we as Christians do good works, but we want the credit for it. We want to be acknowledged for what we've done. And a lot of women are pouring their lives out for others, but they're very quick to blog about it and post about about it on social media, and they enjoy the accolades that come with that. But Amy Carmichael years later wrote these words in her book, If, if the praise of others elates me and their blame depresses me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And she also wrote, if I covet any place but the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary love. What a powerful statement. It has convicted me so many times throughout the years. Whenever I start to feel like I want to be more noticed and appreciated and applauded, I always go back to that statement and her incredible example. 
And when Amy first arrived in India as a missionary, she continued to live out this principle of giving God first place and taking the lowest place instead of seeking honor and recognition for herself. She had a lot of opportunities to be a guest speaker at many Christian events around India and to be involved in ministry work that was really highly regarded among her fellow missionaries, but she chose to care for helpless babies instead. And that was work that was seen as demeaning and lowly, even by other Christians at that time. And yet when she thought of Jesus, the Lord of glory, bending his knee and washing his disciples' feet. She knew that no work was too lowly if done out of love and obedience to him. When Amy was 52, after she had been in India for nearly three decades and rescued hundreds of children from either death or starvation or temple prostitution, she found out that she had been awarded a medal by the King of England for her service to the needy children of India. The governor of Madras wanted to present the medal to her on behalf of the king at a ceremony. Most people would have been thrilled to have their life's work acknowledged like this, but Amy was mortified at the idea of receiving accolades for her Christian service. She felt she already had more than enough reward in the love of the hundreds of children who called her Ama, which means mother. So at first she wanted to refuse that medal entirely, but other people finally convinced her to accept it as a way to acknowledge the needs of the children of India. She agreed to receive it, but she refused to go to the reward ceremony. She hated having her picture taken or being the center of attention, and nobody could persuade her to purposely put herself in the public eye. Though she had a bold personality, she had embraced a life of incredible meekness and humility. Amy's humility flowed directly from that self-denial message that she had really embraced as a young woman, and she continued to live that out during all of her years of missionary life. She wrote, are we going in the way Christ has gone, or are we only talking and praying and singing about it? What about likes and dislikes? What about choices? What about self? Christ's way is the way that says no to the I that rises up so often in its many different disguises. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, say no to himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. A byway is any other way, an easier way, a self-pleasing way. We shall not meet Christ if we travel in a byway. Amy's life has been a continual reminder to me of the humble path that Jesus walked and that we are called to follow in his steps, living for heaven's applause alone. The second principle from Amy's life that has most impacted me is sacrificial love. From the time that Amy first worked with the Shalleys in Ireland and later in England, she did not merely tell them about God's love for them. She demonstrated his love to them. She was a young single woman from an upper-class family, but she chose to live in the slums among the Shalleys so that she could truly empathize with their daily struggles and their daily needs. So she slept in a filthy, rat-infested building. She wore the same clothes as the Shalleys. She lived on the same meager food rations that they ate. She knew that she couldn't tell these destitute young women that God could give them peace and joy in the midst of their circumstances unless she was willing to prove it true in her own life. And that is so powerful to me. Later, when she went to India, she had no desire to be pampered and comfortable like so many other English people who lived there at the time. It caused some other missionaries to dislike her, but she chose to live and work among the Indian people in a truly self-sacrificing way. Often, she camped by the side of the road and traveled in a rickety bullet cart in the heat of the day. When sick children were brought to her, she nursed them around the clock, some for weeks or months at a time. She risked her life numerous times in order to save children from being given to the temple as a slave. She didn't just run an orphanage with scores of children that she rescued. She actually cared for them as if they were her own and called them 
her family. Their spiritual growth was just as important to her as their physical well-being. She personally loved them, taught them, discipled them, nursed them, and poured herself out for them day and night. And the reason she was called Ama, which means mother, is because she truly was as devoted to them as any loving mother would be. In some cases, she even risked going to jail in order to legally fight for children who were in dangerous home situations because of the Hindu caste system. She did not protect her own comforts. She once wrote this, it is so fatally easy to forget that we are not here to enjoy life, to live pleasantly without stabs and rending griefs that leave scars, that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. So powerful. Amy's poem, Make Me Thy Fuel, is such a perfect enunciation of the sacrificial lifestyle that she willingly embraced. From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee. So powerful. And the third principle that has so impacted me from Amy's life is endurance. Others would have walked away in defeat so many times with the obstacles that she faced, but she refused to be easy on herself or listen to the voice of self-pity, no matter how difficult her circumstances became. In her book, If, she wrote, If I am soft to myself and slide comfortably into the vice of self-pity, if, though I have this ministry and I've been given much mercy, I faint, if I do not by the grace of God practice fortitude, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Amy endured severe tests of faith, persecution from the anti-Christian culture in which she was living, and the devastating loss of many of her closest companions. But she never thought of giving up. Leonard Ravenhill once said of her, she took a one-way ticket to the mission field. When she left England for India as a young woman in delicate health, saying goodbye to friends and family and comforts, she said goodbye to all that was precious and familiar to her, and she never returned to England. She stayed with the work God had called her to in India until her death at the age of 83. Probably the most amazing demonstration of endurance that she demonstrated was during the last 20 years of her life. She had spent so many years in tireless active service on behalf of helpless children, and then one day she fell and badly injured her back and became partially crippled. She spent the next two decades confined to her bedroom and was not able to get out of bed for more than an hour at a time. She needed round-the-clock nursing care. This was truly devastating for someone so used to energetically giving all of their time and energy to serve others. And though she did grieve for her lack of ability to serve as she used to, she wouldn't allow that difficult circumstance to make her bitter against God or become an excuse to grow slack spiritually. Instead, she poured herself into writing books, prayer, and encouragement for the family of women and children under her care. She wrote at least 13 books during those 20 years, spent countless hours praying, and continued to disciple and teach those living at her missionary compound, even from her sickbed. During her time of confinement, she wrote, I am sure, for I proved it true, that one long look at Calvary does something for us that nothing else can do. Consider him that endured, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Try it, you who are in the thick of things. Try it, and you will prove the power that is in it. If there has been defeat anywhere and you are tempted to faint in your minds, do not be discouraged, but determine that next time attack comes, you will win. Consider him that endured, and you will be more than a conqueror. My favorite quote from Amy continually reminds me that what is required in order to maintain true spiritual strength. 
Comrades in this solemn fight, let us settle it as something that can never be shaken. We are here to live humble, lowly, loving lives. We cannot do this unless we walk very, very close to our Lord Jesus. Anything that would hinder us from the closest walk possible until the day we see him face to face is not for us. When we encounter a spiritual hero like Amy Carmichael, it's easy to admire her but believe we can never achieve that kind of spiritual victory. But I find it very encouraging that we serve the same God and that we have access to the same spiritual power and grace that was available to our spiritual heroes. My life and your life may never look the same as Amy Carmichael's. Our stories may not be as exciting. Our writing may not be as powerful. But by the grace of God, we can personally cultivate those core principles by which she lived because they're really God's principles. When we follow in the footsteps of a spiritual hero like Amy Carmichael, we need to remember that there is a cost to this way of living. Amy summarized it beautifully when she said, to break with all worldly customs, to live utterly separate from the spirit of the world so that we shall not say, what is the harm of this or that, but simply shall have lost all relish for what is not of the Father, to live as those who truly lay all on the altar, time, strength, possessions, literally everything we are and have, this will cost us something. Are we ready for what it will cost? My prayer is that our answer to that question would be a resounding yes. I hope you've been encouraged by this week's episode. If you would like to know more about living a passionate, Christ-centered life, please join us for our upcoming Set Apart Conference, June 7th and 8th in Windsor, Colorado, or via simulcast anywhere you are in the world. Visit setapartgirl.com to learn more. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.